Gospel of John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. You know uh, the New Testament. The first four books are what we call the Gospels. They tell the story of the Lord Jesus Christ in his physical, earthly life. Matthew, Mark, and Luke see him similarly. And John sees him as the Son of God. Amen. Now, the setting here by this uh, late juncture in the Gospel of John, by the way, John was written so you would believe on the Lord Jesus. That's right. You want to believe on the Lord Jesus, read John. I've often told people, look, read just one chapter a day, and in three weeks, 21 days, you'll be through the whole book. And you have read a book that was made and written just so you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That'd be a great exercise, spiritual exercise to do. But the setting here this late in John is the Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified. Now, I love the fact that Jesus was virgin born. It's the only way he could be the Son of God. Right. Amen. And we're going to be talking about that in the upcoming Christmas season. And I love the fact that Jesus did miracles and lived a sinless life, raised the dead and opened the eyes of the blind and healed the sick and walked on the water and turned water to wine. I believe every one of those things, Amen. just as literally and physically as you possibly could. But if all you believe about Jesus is that he was virgin born and did a bunch of cool miracles, you will not be saved. Yeah. Amen. Right. It is the belief in his death, burial, and resurrection that will save your soul. Amen, That's brother. Correct. You put your trust in his finished work on Calvary. You know why we have these crucifixes and this artwork that shows Jesus on the cross, even though it has some, even though it has some human element in it and some bad things? Because that was a history-changing event. The greatest event in history, even up to today, is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And definitely the most important thing in my life Amen. is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because that's where I got in. Amen. That's where I got eternal life. Mm -hmm. That's where I became a child of God. Before that, I was just a child of hell. Amen. So the Lord has died on the cross, shed his blood for the remission of our sins, been buried, and risen again by this point. And he goes and meets with his disciples. Now look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20 verse 19 in the, uh, at the paragraph mark if you have a Cambridge edition of the King James Bible. And it says in John 20 verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Now think about what you're reading. They know he died. They know he was dead. They know it wasn't a fake. And they know the doors are shut. And Jesus still walks right in and starts talking to them. Now tell me you wouldn't remember that 50 and 60 years later. <laughs> when a dead person that you knew was dead came right through the walls or door or whatever and started talking to you. That would be a memorable event. That wouldn't be something that even decades later you would say, hmm, I don't remember if that happened or not. Yeah, you'd remember that. <laughs> that would be one you would never forget. And they show up, he shows up to them, and it says, here's what he says, peace be unto you. Well, <laughs> a little trouble having peace at a moment like that. This is apparently that peace that passeth understanding. Yes. This is a supernatural peace. 
Verse 20, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Don't tell me they just saw him in spirit or they just had a vision of him. No, this is literal. He showed them his hands. He was actually there. A little bit later, he sits down and eats with them. Verse 21, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. No wonder he had to say it twice. There's in a dead guy. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. The Lord Jesus, after he was dead and buried, rose again and went into the upper room with his disciples. And I want to preach this morning, upper room blessings. This is where Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, comes and meets with his people. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll come down and through the Holy Spirit reveal to us some things about our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we do appreciate the fact that he was virgin born and that he lived a sinless life and had that remarkable encounter with the doctors of the law when he was only 12 years old and did those wonderful miracles. But Lord, our real trust in him is because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Right. That's where we can get in. And I thank you, Lord, that after his resurrection, he didn't leave us. He still comes and fellowships with us. And I pray, dear Lord, you help me to impart some of the blessings that I was reminded of even this morning about fellowship with the risen Savior. Lord, I pray there's nothing more important to the people under the sound of my voice than fellowship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So after three and a half years of following Christ in his physical, earthly life, the disciples needed one more lesson from their teacher before he laid the mantle of leadership upon them. And this is what they learned. Number one. The presence of Christ. The main thing you need in your life, more than you need your mama, and God knows I love mamas, more than you need your daddy, and God knows I love daddies, more than you need your brothers and sisters, and I love brothers and sisters, and more than you need your closest friend, and I love close friends, and more than you need your ball games and your money and everything else that your mind is on, and more than you need your nice clothes and the luxuries that we enjoy and your cool cars and all the other things, Number one thing you need is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. If you've got that, you've got what you need. Yeah. And if you don't have that, I don't care what things the luxuries of this country can provide you in this time of prosperity. And in our part of the country, Lord knows it is a time of prosperity. You'll always have a big puzzle piece missing out of your heart if you don't have the presence of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right now, it says, came Jesus and stood in the midst. Now, number one, you need him in your heart when you get saved. But I read that the Lord Jesus Christ comes and meets with us when we meet in his name. Yeah. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of him. I often refer to the passage there in Revelation where it says the golden candlesticks are the churches and Jesus walks in the midst of the golden candlesticks. Yeah. There's a reason we come to church and it's not because we just like each other. There's probably a few of you that just don't really care for me. <laughs> I hate to think it, but it's probably true. It's been true most everywhere else I've ever been. <laughs> but I bet I know why you're here. 
I bet you know that we do believe this Bible. And we do meet with the Lord Jesus. And we do spend time with him. And you sense him among the saints here. It is not a pastor thing. It is a church thing. Yeah. Jesus meets with the churches. Jesus meets where there are two or three gathered in his name. The presence of Christ. Now it's a spiritual presence, but it is real. He was literally standing there. But I know it's spiritual because the doors were shut. Now let's say you walk through a place where the door walk into a place where the doors are shut. You ain't gonna be able to do it. Now I understand if you jimmy the doors open or knock the doors down, but it said the doors were shut. There's no indication that the doors ever got open, beat up, knocked down, jimmied open, or anything else. The doors are open, and all of a sudden he's standing in the midst of them. That's more than just a physical presence. But it is still a physical presence because he was able to show them his hands and his feet. He was literally standing there. Like I say, not long after this, he's eating with them. If somebody's eating with you and you look and see a bite taken out of their biscuit, you got to admit, that went somewhere. He's literally and physically there, and yet he's spiritually there. That's the interesting thing about these resurrection bodies. They got some elements of spirit. Yes. And they got some elements of a literal physical body. You say, which one? The answer is yes. <laughs> Both. Or neither. <laughs> or some of each. I mean, how do you say it? The presence of Christ is real. Listen, when you got saved, all of a sudden you noticed the spirit of Jesus Christ in you. And you couldn't show somebody literally and physically, but man, there was no other explanation for the change in you. I thank God when I was a little boy, my daddy got saved, and I got a real good explanation of this in real time where I know what it looks like. I've been real comfortable with it pretty much ever since I can remember because I remember the difference in dad, and I've seen it in other people since then. The presence of Christ, it's spiritual, yet it's literal. And while he was there, they were adoring him and yet learning from his presence. One of my favorite passages in the scripture is back in Psalm 27. Let me read to you here in this great psalm of David. Oh, I've gone too far. I went all the way back to Job. Psalm 27. Psalm of David. It says in verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. If there is one thing the man after God's own heart wanted, don't you love it when it gets real simple and he just gets it down to one thing? And you don't get distracted trying to remember a list of ten things. Here's one thing. Get in his presence where you can behold his beauty and inquire, ask him questions and learn from him. Verse 5, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Does anybody agree with me that there are going to be times of trouble in your life? Oh, boy. Yeah. You know what you're going to want then? The presence of the Lord. Yes. Sometimes a good lawyer will fail you. Sometimes a good insurance policy will fail you. The Lord never failed. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. 
And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Oh, man, you get his beauty, verse 4. You get his wisdom, the end of verse 4. You get his comfort and security, verse 5. You get exultation in verse 6. And it's more sure than the love of your mom and daddy. How many things in life are more sure than the love of your mom and daddy? Not many for most people. But look down at verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Man! Psalm 27 is a great psalm, isn't it? That's everything you need. The presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one was the presence of Christ. All right, number two, he mentions it a couple times here in this passage. Peace from Christ. He says in the end of verse 19, back in our text of John 20, Peace be unto you. Look down at verse um, 21. He says it again. Peace be unto you. All right, now peace originates, the right kind of peace, the eternal peace, originates from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've studied history, you've heard of Pax Romana. That's Roman peace. That's where they came in, wiped out the enemy, totally subdued them, and brought peace. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I admit the war quit because you couldn't beat that Roman army in those days. <laughs> but that's not a real pleasant peace. Somebody just with an iron rod just making you do everything they say and making every move they say to make. And boy, you dare not go against it because I'll hook you over the head. That, that's, that's peace, I'll give you. Nobody would dare fight against it, so it's peace in a sense, but it's not very pleasant. But now the peace that comes with Jesus Christ, that's the one you want. Yes. It originates with Jesus Christ. He said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Amen, Lord. I'll take it. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, in case you need a church-age verse on this, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. You know when I'm not very peaceful? When I've got confusion. I, the Lord wants me to do this, but if, I, but if I do differently than what the world wants me to do, they'll be fussing at me and who knows what might be involved and it might be court cases and it might cost me a bunch of money and it might cost me a bunch of friends and who knows, I don't know, it might cost me my health, I don't know. You know what that is not? That is not peace. That's worry. I'm too familiar with it. Peace comes from Christ. It originates with Christ, but... It must be exercised by you. Jesus said, Peace I will leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He said, You, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That part is a command to you. It's up to you whether or not you receive it. It's up to you whether or not you go by it. You can say, I don't care. I'm going to go take me some uppers or drink me a bunch of caffeine, get myself all hyped up and worried about everything, and get all my ducks in a row and all my lawyers in place and all my insurance in place and all my 401k savings in place, and I'm ready for whatever comes, and then here will come something that none of those things can help. That's true. But you can choose to let not your heart be troubled. You say, how can I? Because i got a command from Jesus Christ that says not to. You say, wait a minute, what if I make somebody mad? 
I'm trusting him to take care of me even then. What if a big, powerful government throws me to the lions? Oh, we have that exact case in the Bible, don't we? You ever heard of Daniel and the lion's den? Yeah, you might. It. I'll have to give you that. I'll be honest with you. You might end up in a den of lions, but the angel of God be in there with you. Amen. Good you point. might end up in a fiery furnace, but the form of the fourth that's in there with you is the Son of God. It must be exercised by you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Not because of all the plans you have in place for security. Through Christ Jesus. It comes from Him. But it is commanded to you. It does say, you be careful for nothing. You have to decide to obey. And I'll just be honest, I don't always choose to obey. Sometimes I choose to worry. I'm ashamed of myself, but I'd be lying if I told you any different. And I bet I'm not the only one in this room that does that sometimes. Alright, presence of Christ, peace from Christ. You know why you ought to meet in the upper room with the Lord Jesus Christ after His resurrection? Because there's some benefits. Number one, his presence, that answers everything. Number two, his peace, that sure makes it a lot more pleasant way to live. Yeah. All right, number three, the revelation of Christ. You'll learn some things about him. You spend some time with him. I, at this point in my life, I have spent some time with Jesus. I spend time with him every single morning and various times throughout the day, every day for years and years, decades at this point. There's some things about him I know now that I didn't always know. I have begun to learn the kinds of things that make him mad at me. <laughs> you live with somebody a long time, you will begin to notice some patterns. <laughs> After a while, you begin to realize, oh yeah, when I do that, me and him aren't in as close a fellowship. <laughs> yeah, I better look out there. Yeah, uh, I've learned some things that he does that kind of makes me mad. <laughs> I'm just being real with you today. I've learned the things that he is powerful enough to handle. Yes, he is. I've learned the things that he is comforting and tender with me about. Even though I'm wrong. I know some things about him. I know the sacrifices he goes through for me and has gone through for me. And sure enough, when he shows up his disciples, you know what he does? He shows unto them his hands and his side. It's really me, he seemed to say. Here is where those nails are that you saw. Here is where that hole in my side is that you saw or if you weren't there because you'd run off by that time you heard about here it is his hands I will use it figuratively represent his works you need to spend some time with the Lord Jesus Christ so you see what he does you know how he operates you know what he holds dear you know what he spends his time I love to watch somebody that is skilled with their hands. It blows my mind, the pictures they can draw or paint. Yeah. The things that they can build. I, I've just never been able to even cut a straight line. I can take a skill saw and I can kind of, sort of, get it okay, but not really. So many people are so much better. And it's not just because it's a power tool. I can't take a pair of scissors and cut a piece of paper straight. <laughs> I just, I don't have that steady hand. I don't know what it is. But I sure admire somebody who can. Yeah. That is so cool to watch. Because I can never do those things. We see the Lord Jesus Christ's hands. That reminds us of his works. 
we see his side that reminds us of his affections, the ones close to his heart. The revelation of Jesus Christ. You know why you ought to read your Bible and spend time with the Lord Jesus? So you see how he works. So you see what he loves. He loves the Father. He loves his people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you have an eternal soul, let me tell you something. Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross for you. Yes. And it's a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. You don't have to pay no amount of money for it. You don't have to go through a, a ritual for it. You don't have to join the right church for it. You don't have to give to charity. You don't have to be charitable. You ought to. You should. Those are all good things. But those will not save your soul. You know what will save your soul? Trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Dying on the cross of Calvary. Shedding his blood to wash your sins away. Being buried and rising again the third day. Do you believe that? Will you trust that to get you to heaven? That will do the trick. The revelation of Christ. Then I notice in verse 20 it says, And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. You know what we're missing in our day? Gladness. Well, that's the truth. Don't I read the articles ever so often on Wednesday night about the signs of the times and they're talking about how men are committing suicide at record levels Women are reporting more mental illness and depression and suicide attempts than ever before. Children have more mental illness than ever before. What's going on? How come back when America was known as a place that had Bible-believing Baptist churches all over the place and they were the biggest, most influential churches in many of our major cities, how, many, what, how come it wasn't near as bad as it is right now? I wonder if we've departed from something yes. that brings peace. Yes, we have. And now they're telling us the old-fashioned ones, they're the mean ones and the hard ones. And we're the problem, huh? When we had more sway in society, it wasn't nearly like this. Somebody's wrong. Somebody's lying. We're in way worse trouble than we were. Something's wrong. You know what these disciples found when they found fellowship with the resurrected Jesus Christ? They found gladness. Amen. You know why you're listening to those depressing songs and popping those de depressing pills and drinking that depressing liquor and hanging out with those depressing friends that are as hopeless as you are? You're not spending time with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Because the disciples are glad when they see Jesus. Gladness from his presence. Psalm 1611. Oh, I love that reference. Psalm 1611. That's the year, of course, the King James Bible was translated. 1611. Psalm 1611 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. If you want a place where the joy is full and the pleasures last forever, instead of being the temporary pleasures of sin that last for only for a season, you get close to the resurrected Jesus Christ and you spend time with him. You know how you do that? Take a little time with Bible reading and prayer. Come to a Bible-believing Baptist church where the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted. Amen. Do like David where he said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and behold his beauty and inquire in his temple, for he's going to protect me, as it said, and he's going to exalt me, as it said, and even when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord 
will take me up. There's no better place than that, folks. We're going to enjoy family at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and that's a great thing to do. That's one of the great blessings of what we call the holiday season. But I'll tell you one that beats even that. Fellowship with the resurrected Lord Jesus Amen. Christ. Even when your family forsake, even if they're the great family and they wouldn't forsake you for anything, they're going to die one day. <laughs> they're at least going to forsake you then in, to an extent. But the Lord Jesus never will. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It comes from his presence. It comes from his Revelation. Let me read a couple of verses over here towards the end of the New Testament. We're making good time. I won't keep you long. You'll get dinner all the time and everything. All right, 1 Peter 1.8. 1 Peter 1.8. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know how they get that joy unspeakable and full of glory? Because even though Jesus isn't literally physically here with us, you believe he's there spiritually. And there comes joy. And there comes glory. All right, uh, that's 1 Peter 1.8. Let me look just a few pages over and look at chapter 4 and verse 13. Even sometimes when suffering comes for his sake, he shows up and gives you joy. Remember the disciples in the book of Acts, they threw him in prison and they started rejoicing and singing at midnight and in another place rejoicing that they were found worthy to suffer shame for his name. Jesus shows up and gives you joy. Amen. Don't you know that was the neatest thing in the world for Daniel to be in that lion's den and then look and see the angel of the Lord shut their mouths? Right. For the three Hebrew children to be thrown in the fiery furnace and look up and see the Son of God in there with them? My goodness. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, along these lines, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Verse 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. If you suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ, it is suffering. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is suffering. There will be a sense of loss. Going forth with weeping, sowing for the master, though the loss sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome, and we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. Yeah, now, there will be some real sorrowing, and it will often grieve your spirit. I'm not going to sit here and tell you your Christian life won't have some setbacks, and they'll come up fairly often. That's just true. But every other manner of life has the same thing. Your difference will be Jesus will be there to encourage you. All right, so we've seen the presence of Christ, the peace from Christ, the revelation of Christ, the gladness through Christ. Now let's look at a little responsibility back to our text, John chapter 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus came down here and he had a job to do. And it was a serious matter. He said, How I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened? Will it be accomplished or words to that effect? 
There is a job the Lord has for you when you get saved. He wants you to be a testimony for him. He wants you to care for others because of him. There are some witnessing and some outreach and some blessing that you can be to other people. It's, a, it's an important thing. He said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now the first thing I notice about our Lord Jesus Christ, and even Benjamin Franklin, who the best I can tell certainly was not saved, and I'm sorry to say as far as I can find never did get saved, but even Benjamin Franklin saw and noticed the tremendous humility in Jesus Christ. If he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, and of course there's no doubt about it in our minds because we believe the Bible, what humility for him to come down from being the crown jewel of the whole wide universe to take a lowly place here on this earth. Amen. That is unbelievable humility. Amen. In fact, that's what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're sent as Jesus was sent, then first of all, that means for you to take a lowly place. Uh-oh. Amen. That means for you to humble yourself. Humbling yourself the most you can ever imagine humbling yourself still won't match how far Jesus came down for me and you, will it? Son of God himself, the creator of the whole universe, to come down in the likeness of man? How in the world could we even come close to that level of humility? We couldn't even approach it. But I know this. The more you can come down, the higher he'll exalt you. I know that from the Lord Jesus, because he came down in such an unbelievable way, and now he is exalted above everything. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So if we're sent like Christ, we're sent first of all in humility. We're sent second of all to preach the gospel. You know what Jesus did when he was down here? He preached the gospel. He lived the gospel. He exemplified the gospel. He is the author and finisher of it. Paul, our pattern in the church age, said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You know where you want to put your trust? In the cross of Jesus Christ. You know where you want to point other people to? To the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not to your personal preferences. It's not to your family's standards. It's to the cross of Jesus Christ. Preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. People put their trust in that. Everything else falls in place a whole lot easier. Amen. Sent forth by Christ. All right, I'll tell you another thing they get here in these upper room blessings. We're drawing towards the end here. 
Look at verse 22. It says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Jesus has died and buried and resurrected, and he is now ready to give his disciples the Holy Ghost. Right. You know what you get when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? You get the Holy Ghost indwelling. Yeah. The indwelling Spirit, we call this. What are the advantages of that? Well, his name, as Jesus was explaining it to his disciples, is Comforter, capital C. If somebody really believes in something and is really connected to something, they'll say, my middle name is whatever it is they believe in. You heard about the kind of crazy guy that changed his name to be Byron Lotax Luther. He wanted his name to be Lotax. <laughs> Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. His name is Comforter. I love that old hymn, The Comforter Has Come. Old spread the tidings round. Wherever man is found, the Comforter has come. You know what you're going to need from time to time in your life? Comfort. Yeah. The way families are falling apart in our day, you're going to need comfort. The way our finances are coming up, coming apart, our, is it true or could I have heard wrong? Is our government $30 trillion in yeah. debt? <laughs> Reckon how that's going to go. What would your finances be like if you were $30 trillion in debt? <laughs> You would have had to declare bankruptcy long before now. At some point, somebody stops believing that you actually have anything. What if you said, hey, i got plenty of money. I'll give you whatever you need. And somebody said, well, what are your finances like? Well, I'm $30 trillion in debt. <laughs> I'd say, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't have any money if you're $30 trillion in the hole, man. That's not logical. That doesn't make any sense. You ought to lock people up like that. Yeah, no. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm trying to make a logical statement. <laughs> you don't have you don't find yourself 30 trillion in the hole and hand out more money. That doesn't make any sense. You don't have any. You're 30 trillion from being at zero. <laughs> Dummy. But we're making up some rules that don't add up mathematically, if you haven't noticed. Uh, and a lot of people make a pretty good uh, argument that we're making up votes that ain't really there come election time. Indwelling spirit, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Comforter. Things falling apart, you're going to need some comfort. I'll tell you something else about him. He'll help you know what's true. He'll help you know what's right. Doesn't it get confusing? Watch a TikTok video and an Instagram video and a YouTube video and a Facebook video or whatever you call them and then try to figure out which one's telling you the truth. Watch CNN and Fox. No. <laughs> try to figure it out. You know what the Holy Spirit will do? He cuts through all that and explains to you what's true. You know how I know that? Because Jesus said he does. Right. When he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. You know why you want to fellowship with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? Because he breathes on you and you get the Holy Ghost and he's the comforter and he is the spirit of truth and his name is comforter and his name is the spirit of truth. There goes your confusion. Let him reveal things. Amen. You want to understand your Bible? The Holy Spirit is the one that interprets the scripture for you. 
You get the presence of Christ. You get the peace from Christ. You get the revelation of Christ. You get gladness through Christ. You get sent forth by Christ. That's on you. He expects you to obey and do some things he sends you to do, just like he obeyed the Father. You get the indwelling spirit, and I'll give you one more. Verse 23, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. You get authority from Christ. You know what they noticed about the Lord Jesus? They said he doesn't teach like the scribes. He speaks with authority. You hang out with Jesus Christ, some of his authority rubs off on you. You know a, a Bible-believing, King James Bible-believing Baptist pastor, and he's got some power and some authority behind what he says? You know why he does? Because he's so smart. He's figured it out. Boy, he really knows the truth. Not one minute. Don't you think that for a second? I'll tell you where authority comes in the preaching and teaching. It comes from fellowship with the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's why they have the boldness to preach even though they end up in jail and their heads cut off and God knows what. Because God told them to say what they say and the resurrected Jesus Christ gave them their authority. And therefore, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It's way more important that I obey Jesus Christ and do and say what he tells me to do and say than any other factor to be considered at all. If it costs me all my money, every loved one, all my freedoms, and my very lifeblood, so be it. He's God. He outranks everything I just listed. Oh, that's what happened. It says when they saw Peter and John and perceived that they were, and saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were ignorant and unlearned men, you know what they did? Took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. When you get up preaching the word of God boldly, they go, oh. Yep, he's been with Jesus. And when they're mealy-mouthed, you know they've just been reading something on the Internet. <laughs> you won't read on the Internet and come out with any boldness and authority. Let me tell you what Jesus does for his disciples. He gives them authority. He says here, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, I do have to mention this. There is a false teaching that comes from this, that the apostles had these magical powers to really nail your sins onto you or unstable your sins off of you. But it was not just the 12 apostles that were there. Look at the parallel passage over in Luke chapter 24. I think it's verse 33 on one here. Luke 24, 33. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together, look at it, and them that were with them. So here's the, the eleven plus them that were with them. And look down at verse 36. And as they spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. There was more there than just the twelve. Right. Or the eleven at this point. Uh, this is for people that fellowship with Jesus, not just 11 magical apostles. Amen. <laughs> he gave them some authority. Look at uh, Acts chapter 13, or I will read it to you. We're on the last point, so don't worry. If you're getting hungry, I am too. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse uh, 38. 
Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. When they went out preaching, they preached the forgiveness of sins just like Jesus said they would, but they kept it through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Not because the apostles had some magical power to stick your sins on you where they couldn't come off <laughs> or remove them. That's all through Jesus Christ. All right, one more. Look at um, 2 Corinthians 2. Again, I'll read it to you. Second Corinthians chapter 2, when it comes time to forgive some church members got in some trouble. Second Corinthians 2.10, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it, look at it, in the person of Christ. All that forgiveness of sins comes through Jesus Christ. You got the authority to apply it because he just gave it to you. When you fellowship with the resurrected Christ, but it comes through him. It's not because you are so righteous you can declare who's right. It's because you know that it comes through Jesus Christ. So authority from Christ. Christ, the author of salvation, and the Bible has authority. Bible says in Hebrews, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. You want to get saved? You want to know you're going to heaven when you die? Let me tell you who authored that plan. Jesus Christ. Go to him. As Peter said, Lord, save me. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Have you done that? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that he died and was buried and rose from the grave and put your trust in that to give you eternal life? He came up from the dead, you'll come up from the dead. If you don't believe he did, then you won't either. He's the author of salvation. And also, Christ imparts this authority to them that study him. As I already quoted just a minute ago, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Your authority won't come from a good logical understanding of the way things are. Your authority will come you're commissioned by Jesus Christ. All right, what have we seen? We've seen blessings that come to those who meet privately with Christ, the resurrected Christ, that is. Even the disciples' years of personally knowing Christ in his human life could not substitute for this upper room meeting. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't say, well, now I have to meet with the disciples. They knew me three and a half years. They're good. No, there's some things you need to know about him after the death, burial, and resurrection. Just knowing the virgin birth and just knowing the miracles won't save you. And I'll tell you something else. They will empower you. And you know what we are? We're in the end times. You know what we need? We need some power. You know where that's going to come? Fellowship with Jesus Christ. Did you read your Bible and pray this morning? There is nothing more important in your whole life in your fellowship with Jesus Christ. Are you in church every time the doors are open so you can be in a place where his presence is according to this book? There is nothing more important than you being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Those are the blessings you get from it. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit come down and